right, people, your 16 seconds is up. We'll just have to see it's a surprise. Your daughter's right, here. I thought she was gone. Let's get to God's Didn't words. She, move away? she was in treatment for three months, and now she's heading to Orlando oh, in a treatment. few weeks. Okay. We'll grab a seat, and we're going to get to God's word. Jim oh. Whittle's preaching this morning, but uh, Jim asked me to read uh, one of the texts. So for our scripture lesson this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to be in John chapter 11, picking up in verse 17 and reading through verse 44. Hear God's words. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise in the, again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place that where, Mary, where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, Lord, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you again. I love, Sherry and I love coming here. She was in the first service and went back home to Douglasville and, uh, it's always good to be here because so much is happening. Your building is expanding. That's a pretty exciting thing. But uh, I heard in the announcements this morning, Tina say that they've, they've uh, lengthened the time for pledges. I guess not enough people have pledged yet. That's apparent from the fact that you're selling advertising <laughs> on, the, on the walls to pay for the building. 
My name is Jim Whittle. If I don't know you, have met you. I work for Equipping Leaders International. I'm the India director, and I train pastors in India. I go about five times a year, and uh, for a couple, three weeks at a time. And we're training about 600 leaders face to face. Our India team, which represents about 25,000 churches, and training and over a million believers. So you support us in that work. So when I go, you go with me. I hope you'll pray for me. I'd leave this Saturday for two weeks, and I'm going for the first time by myself. Don't usually do that, but we'll be doing a couple of weeks of evangelism training and uh, church planter training. And so uh, pray, pray for us, pray for me while I'm gone. Pray for my wife, Sherry, while she's home without me. So this morning, we're uh, looking at three passages of scripture in three episodes. I had Andrew read the middle passage because it's long, and my theory is my clock doesn't start till I get up here, so if I get him to read the passage, I get to preach longer um, since we've got nowhere to go but lunch anyway, and we don't have a second service after this one. And I'm going to start with a movie that maybe a few of you of gray hair like me have seen it. It's called City Slickers back in 1991 starring Billy Christie. Now, Billy Crystal, Ben Weber tells me that nobody's seen the movies that I've seen that my movie illustrations are all old, especially for the college students. So they've never heard of City Slickers. And uh, when I was in Henley's office with Henley and Weber back in the fall, they were ragging on my shoes because I wear New Balance. They said they were old man's shoes. (laughs) And I walk in the mall every morning as well, so that means I'm really old. What I didn't tell Weber is that I bought those shoes for the first time when I was his age. So he's old enough now to have the pleasure and the blessing of wearing New Balance. So since nobody's seen City Slickers, especially the young guys, I'm going to tell you what it's about. It's a movie starring Billy Crystal from the early 90s. It was a comedy. It's about three men. They're old friends, childhood friends. And as far as they're concerned, they're now approaching middle age. They're in their late 30s. And they... uh, they used to spend a vacation time together every, every year doing something daring like skydiving or mountain climbing or something like this. And in the move, it's to get away from their button-down, yuppie urban lifestyle and, so, uh, and to try to find themselves. And in the, in the movie, they've, uh, they've booked on to go to a dude ranch out in Colorado for two weeks. And, and the plot of the film revolves around their desire to... To, to go on this cattle drive with some real-life cowboys. And uh, in the process, they hope to get in touch with their more primitive selves and find out something useful about the meaning of life. And so the boss—it's a pretty funny movie. The boss of this cattle drive is a leathery old cowboy named Curly who has more creases in his face than I do and who lives up to all the typical stereotypes of a, of a cowboy. He, uh, he's mean and he's tough and... And he can do anything with a rope or a whip or a knife, but he's really gentle around animals, tough on men, easy on animals. So one day, Billy and, and Curly are riding along together beside the herd, and, and Curly, the cowboy, turns to Billy Crystal and, and, and asks, do you know what the secret of life is? Because he knows they're looking. And so Billy says, no, no what is it? And, and, and Curly says, well, it's one thing. And Billy says, that's great, but what is that one thing? And Curly says, it's one thing, and if you stick to that, everything else don't mean nothing. 
Billy says, yeah, tell me, what, what is that one thing? And Curly looks at him for a minute and says, that's what you've got to figure out. And so that's what we're going to try and figure out this morning from the scriptures. Our goal is to figure out what that one thing is and devote ourselves to it. Because if Curly is right, if there is just one thing, just one necessary thing that is the secret of life, then it would be worth selling all of our property to buy it, and it would be worth casting aside every distraction to pursue it. So we're going to seek this goal by looking at three episodes in the life of two sisters, Martha and Mary. So we're going to start in Luke 10. This is the short one, so I get to read it. It'll be up on your screen. Luke 10 and verse 38 is where we're going. And so Jesus and his disciples were on the way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things. But few things are needed, only indeed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, so here we're introduced to two sisters that are friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary. And we're going to find out in another story, well, the story you already read in John 11, that they have a brother named Lazarus. And, and they're really good friends of Jesus. And the plot of this little episode is simple. Martha is throwing a party for Jesus and his disciples to give him a platform to teach, I'm sure. And Mary is supposed to be helping throw the party with her sister. But as the party progresses, Martha ends up doing all the work. And Mary is in the room with Jesus, just simply listening to him teach, sitting at his feet, as the text says. And so Martha is not real pleased about this. And so she goes right to the top to complain, skipping her sister altogether. And, and in her complaint, there, there's an open illustration of both a sinful attitude and, and the realization that Martha doesn't have a clue what's happening in her own home. So Martha says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, you can read whatever you want between the lines, but it's possible that Martha actually blamed Jesus for what's happening. But what is clear is that she's rebuking Jesus for letting Mary sit there while she works. And what's more obvious is, is this. Martha wants Jesus to tell Mary what to do so that Mary will do what Martha wants her to do. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Martha wants Jesus to tell Mary what to do so that Mary will do what Martha wants her to do. And Martha is keenly interested in Mary's obedience to Jesus. Wow. She must really be a good friend and a great big sister, don't you think? Martha's so concerned for Mary's welfare that she intercedes with the Lord on Mary's behalf. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the church is full of Martha's. And the training ground, well, it's surely the church, but it's probably the home. It may actually be happening in your home. Most people call them 
tattletales. And, and, and that's what we called them when my kids were little anyway. Kids do this all the time, and they grow up to be adults in the church who do it as well. And Jesus called it the plank in the eye syndrome, you know, when you're so interested in digging the little specks out of each other's eyes. Meanwhile, you got this plank sticking out of the front of your head. It looks like a horror movie. And I haven't met the Christian yet who doesn't go through the Martha stage at some point or another. Young, young Christians especially, they get their lives together for the first time. They're being discipled. They're understanding the truth of who they are. They're seeking the Lord and trying to be obedient to God's law. And then, bam, they're on the trail to make someone else obey. And if we don't actually say it out loud, we look at what each other's doing for the church and we compare it with what others are not doing. And we respond with self-congratulations and we secretly look down and disdain other folks because they're not doing what I do. They're not as committed or as important. You see, Martha is a lesson in self-righteousness 101. She's more interested in Mary's obedience than her own. Now, I know some of you think that Martha often gets a bad rap. I've heard it over the years. Martha gets a bad rap because, you see, it's really just a difference in personality and, and, and uh, perspective on the issues. And some people say that Martha, she was a choleric She's the activist. She's an initiator. She's the person who wants to work with her hands. Her love language is service. Now, Mary, she's different. She is the, she's the melancholic. She's the, the quiet, introspective, meditative type. So her love language is shared time. And so obviously Martha will be more interested in doing stuff for Jesus and Mary will be more interested in simply relating to him. I hope you know that's hogwash. This passage is not about personality types, nor is it about love languages, and it's not about the balance between service time and quiet time in the church. And this passage is not about whether you should have a clean house when guests come over. This passage is about one thing. Who is Jesus in your life? And I know that's what it's about because Jesus tells us so. He doesn't tell us that Martha was a great servant, though undoubtedly she threw a heck of a party. And, and Martha here doesn't get a bun wrap. The Lord doesn't give those. His ways are just and altogether righteous. If, Martha rebukes, if Jesus rebukes Martha, it's because she deserves it and she needs to repent. And, and, but notice Jesus is not harsh. He says, Martha, Martha. I can hear him say it with a sigh, with tenderness in his voice for a friend. Not with the voice raised as if she's a, a self-righteous Pharisee. Not, not at all. Jesus gives it straight and to the heart. You see, Martha's problem is that she's distracted and worried about so many things. And I know that's the lesson of the story because Luke tells us that that's what it's about. 
You see, Martha thought that what mattered most was the quality of the food, and what would honor Jesus most was to throw him an outstanding party. After all, we only want to give our best to Jesus, right? Like fine Sunday clothes and getting to church on time. But you see, Mary knew better. Mary knew that Jesus is the party. No greater honor could be paid to him than to sit and bask in the glow of his presence, to be warmed by his friendship, and to be changed by his words. You know, I've heard so many people, especially women over the years, say, I'm a Martha. The kitchen is my place. I love to serve my family. But you see, that's a misunderstanding about Martha. It's not that Martha does her duty and Mary doesn't. The problem is Martha is distracted by her duty. It'd be a little like saying, well, you know, honey, Jesus came by to see us today, but I need to mop the kitchen floor, so I let the kids hang out with him. Beloved, I'm a Martha. I get up early to pray in the morning because I know that what my soul needs each day is fresh food and drink from the master so that I might love him and love others the rest of the day. And I'm so easily distracted by email and political opinions and Facebook. My task list, my task list sits on my desk and it calls my name. And if I walk in the office before I pray in the morning, I'm done for the day because I have so much to do and curriculum to write and calls to make and boom, the morning's gone. And the whole time Jesus was sitting on the guest chair waiting for me. You know, when I pastored the church in Douglasville, I built my whole schedule around daily men's groups. Andrew told me not to tell you that so that you wouldn't put pressure on him. I, I had daily men's groups, but I did that for me. And it's because that way I would get out of bed, get to the office and pray first thing. Because I'm a Martha. I'm easily distracted by the duties of the day and I still have to do it. I get up to spend time with the Lord and I meet with people during the week to pray, not because I'm disciplined, but because I'm a Martha self-dependent and self-righteous and yet i want to sing the song we sang there's one thing that i need i need you not just in the morning but every hour after all this time i'm finally learning what paul means when he says to pray without ceasing because i need the lord all the time not just one day but every day and not just in the morning but all day so that's episode one Martha and the party. Episode number two is Martha and the resurrection. And the passage there is John 11. Andrew already read it. So what we find out there is that the brother of Martha and Mary, his name's Lazarus, he has died. Now we know from reading the verses before what Andrew read that he was sick and that Jesus and the disciples could have showed up in time to heal him, but for reasons that become clear, Jesus stayed away so that he would die and because he intends to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the others don't know this, and the disciples are freaking out a little bit because Martha and Mary live in Bethany, which is just a couple miles from Jerusalem. And at this point in the life of Jesus, it's really dangerous to be near Jerusalem because the Pharisees and the scribes and the Herodians are headhunting. And so they're just looking for a way to arrest Jesus and kill him, and the disciples assume that means them as well. So they're clueless and fearful. 
they're arguing on the road about which one of them is greatest. So that sets us up for this story about Martha. So the disciples, that's us, are clueless. Then Mary, and then the crowd is sympathetic and, and they're weepy. You got some professional mourners there crying. But how do Martha and Mary respond to the presence of Jesus? Well, they both say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they believe, rightly so, that Jesus can heal and he could have saved Lazarus' life. So Martha reveals there that she also believes in the future resurrection of the dead. Both of those are great proclamations of faith, just like we heard on the stage this morning. A full faith in the Lord Jesus and what he's able to do. And she believes in the resurrection of the dead at the last day. And she makes that clear profession of faith that Jesus is the Messiah and he is indeed the Son of God who was the promised Savior for Israel. So is Martha doing better? Well, yeah, she's getting better. From Luke 10 to John 11, there's been some big steps, but she still has a little stretching to do. In verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now you see we get to where the rubber hits the road in this story. It's one thing to listen to Jesus week by week and as he sits in your house and say that we believe in the resurrection and join the church. It's another thing altogether to live according to what we say we believe. You see, in our first story, Martha's lack of faith led to her busyness. Now, our busy so-called choleric woman of action, now her lack of faith leads her to hesitancy. So we have a dilemma, you see. Is Martha too active or is she too passive? And which is it? Well, the answer is neither. What's called for is neither activity or passivity. What she needs is faith. She needs faith in the kitchen, and she needs faith at the graveside surface. It's not one or the other. It's both. So Jesus said to her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, when did Jesus tell her that? Well, certainly when he said that he was the resurrection and the, and the life back in verses 25 and 26. But, but beloved, it's also the same thing that Jesus told her back at the house in Luke chapter 10. Jesus doesn't say, if you believe, you'll get your act together and you'll know how to best serve me. <clears throat> Jesus says that if we believe, we'll see the glory of God. Jesus doesn't say, come to me when your life is in order and you're ready to walk the straight and narrow. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We sang that this morning too. Martha is in the presence of glory and she can't see it. That glory was in her living room and she was distracted by, by preparation and service. Now that glory is at the tomb of her dead brother and she's distracted by the smell and the thought of spoilage and the embarrassment with the friends. 
She's all consumed with good manners and proper protocol and avoiding the messiness of life. She'd make a great southern woman. The problem is the chief messmaker is right there having a conversation with her about the real important issues of life because Jesus likes to make messes. Because otherwise, if we could clean up our own life, then we wouldn't need him. So the rest of the story is not about Martha, but about the glory of God as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What amazing power. What unquenchable glory is in their presence and in ours. Well, that's two episodes. Let's go to the third episode, Mary and the perfume. I know your bulletin says Martha and a blank, but it's really Mary. I probably made a mistake when I sent that to Tina this week. So let's look at John chapter 11. It should be on John chapter 12. It's on the screen, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while, there she is again, serving. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And, you know, they didn't sit at a table. They reclined. It's uh, the old loofah thing. You lay on a big pillow. Your head's at the table. Your feet are on the opposites away from the table. And then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So it's Saturday evening, the Sabbath is over, and a dinner has been given in Jesus' honor at the home of Simon the leper. It's the day before the triumphal entry, a week before the cross. And Martha, as usual, is busy serving when without warning, Mary takes a jar of expensive perfume worth more than a year's wages. Imagine, worth more than a year's wages. This is one of the family's great assets. This is their wealth, is in this perfume. And she breaks the jar to anoint Jesus. And immediately, the aroma The rich perfume fills the air, and everyone's attention is turned to what Mary's doing. And and she's broken the jar, so there's no way to get the perfume back in the bottle, no way to save any of it. And she takes the perfume, about 16 ounces, it was a pint of pure nard, and she pours it over the top of his head, and it runs down over his body, And then, because they're laying at the table, it doesn't reach his feet. So she's going to anoint his feet too. And so she takes her hair and anoints his feet as well. Bowing before the master, she wipes his feet with her hair. You know, the apostle John is called the disciple of love 
But of all the followers of Christ, no one stands out in the Gospels for their devotion and love for Jesus more than Mary. And in the midst of this lavish scene of love, well, what do the disciples do? They begin to do what they always do, which is they begin to grouse and they complain and they harshly rebuke Mary because of waste. You know, the bookkeepers in the church always believe that generosity is waste. You realize that, don't you? And, and John tells us that Judas took the lead in the criticism. It's an opportunity to remind us what a bad guy he is. But the disciples are right there with them. And we know from the story before that they were arguing about who was the greatest. Have you ever noticed that devotion to Christ, generosity to the Lord, overwhelming heartfelt commitment to Christ always leads to criticism? Not out there, but in here. And criticism is the quickest device that we have for deflecting attention away from our own inadequacies, our own insecurities, our own lack of generosity, and even our own sin. And in this case, from our own lack of devotion to God. Because the first question we all ask is, well, do I have to do what Mary just did? Yeah, you have to. You have to give up everything. You see, most of the jealousy that you see in the church is a, is a result of such deflection. And the hardest criticism for the pure of heart comes from inside the church. So make no mistake, Mary loved Jesus with a pure heart. Jesus was her one thing. There was no halfway commitment here. No hedging of whether Christ was preeminent in her life. But poor Mary, first her sister criticizes her and now the disciples, and again Jesus comes to her rescue and he tells the, those grousers to back off. And then here's what it says in Mark 14 in a parallel. He says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her generosity and devotion to Christ is so extraordinary that I'm preaching this sermon this morning among thousands that have been preached about Mary's lavish love for Jesus. And Jesus tells these complainers that Mary has done a beautiful thing, unique in its thoughtfulness, regal in its lavishness, and marvelous in its timeliness. You see, the, re the native language of love is not service or shared time. Those are fine categories. But the real language of love is lavishness. And Mary loved Jesus much and perhaps listened to him more clearly than the others. They're arguing about who is the greatest. Jesus has talked regularly about his death and his resurrection, and the disciples just kind of go, they can't even cope with it. And Jesus says that she's preparing him for his burial, which is just seven days away. And Mary's devotion, well, it reminds me of a great story about King David from 1 Chronicles 11. Maybe you'll re remember it as I tell it. David's out with his warriors, and they're hiding from the Philistines. And David was very thirsty because their water had run out. So, 
So three of David's men, you know, the, those 30 the warriors that he has that you'd never want to meet in a dark alley. So the, three of the 30, they break through enemy lines and they go get David water and they bring it back to him. And you remember what David did? He, he poured it out on the ground. Can you imagine these men, what they were thinking about? because they just risked their lives to go get their king water and he pours it out on the ground. He poured it out on the ground. At first blush, it seems as if David were being ungrateful, but you see, David poured that out on the ground in devotion to the Lord because David believed that only God is worthy of that kind of love and devotion. And he didn't want his men to love him in the same way that they are supposed to love God. David longed for his men to have this kind of devotion to Jehovah, to the Lord. So he poured the water out on the ground lest he stand in their way of loving God as their one thing. He doesn't want them to be distracted. Isn't that amazing? Now here's the bad news. Billy Crystal and his buddies didn't have a clue about life and its purpose. They had to make a second issue of the movie. They thought that a, a, a couple of weeks of getting back to nature and their own thoughts would solve their, con, their, their confusion. It won't. If they're confused when they go, they're going to be confused when they get home. And Martha, she's still not really getting it either. She doesn't understand. She is stuck measuring her religious life in service and control. She's a bookkeeper. And, and somehow the books didn't balance between her and her sister Mary. Maybe the books don't balance for you either. You know, the problem is that most of us, for most of us in the church, well, we have a PhD in spiritual accounting, me measuring each other at every turn and to make sure that I'm ahead and that it's my plan that's getting done, and it's my opinion that counts, and, and then I can set the boundaries for my relationship with God. Therefore, I'm in control. But you see, that's not the way of life. That's the way of death. When I'm in control, it always gets messed up, but my flesh keeps saying, Jim, you need to be in control. But that's the way of death. And beloved, as long as the most important thing in your life is finding and making your own way, well, then you're at risk. You're at risk in, of losing it all because Jesus puts all bookkeepers and control freaks out of business. And, and the other bad news is that some of you here this morning, well, you're not even ready to be Martha. You're not really interested in Jesus enough to even serve him and his presence. And that's bad because that's the way of death as well. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sins in our place, even the sin of measuring others and seeking to control our life. And he rose from the dead to give us real life and to free us from slavery to ourselves so that instead of us being the one thing, Jesus can be your one thing. Beloved, the gospel is not for those who are finding their way. 
The gospel is for lost people who have no idea how to get out of the woods on their own power. It's so good. He does everything for us. And it's not up to me, you see. It's already done. Isn't that incredible? All that's required of us is faith and trust and following him to believe and to receive and to follow him. And if Jesus is your one thing, you see the smog of life fades away a little. He doesn't always tell us what's going to go on, but I know that it's going to be good for me because I know him. And so I invite you to trust in him today to be your one thing. You see, in the gospel, Jesus puts all bookkeepers and all other captains of their own destiny. He puts us to the sidelines. We can't even get in the game. And he does it through the cross. It's as if he says, Martha, Martha, it's a wonder you don't kill yourself with all your running around trying to hold your life together. Let it go. Mary understood that the one needed thing is not a thing, it's a person. It's not something to be done, it's someone to trust. So she made a choice to sit at the feet of Jesus and to behold the glory of God. And you see, beloved, that's the heart of worship, to cast aside our distractions and our expectations and to bask in the glory of God. And the reason that Mary loved Jesus so much is because she knows Jesus loves her so much that he'll give everything on her behalf. And he has the same love for you and for me. I hope you can see that this morning. It screams out at us from these stories. And look at the reward she gets for loving Christ. Can you imagine the honor that Christ has given her to be the one who poured out the perfume on his head to prepare him for his greatest adventure? And the double honor of making sure that it's remembered that she did this? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, let it go. Come to me. I'll give you rest There's only one thing that is needed. Come to me. Come to my Father. Come to my Father's house and feast with us, and then you'll see the glory of God. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the the measure of grace that you've given us this morning to look into the majesty of the gospel and to see once again the glory of Christ so that we can say we lost it all, Jesus gave it all, and we get it all. And so we want to renew our faith and our hope and our trust in you this morning so that you would be our one thing, so that we can cry out to you daily, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my only righteousness. My Lord, how much I need you. And we pray it this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.